Hey folks, Machine Repeat here. Welcome to podcast episode number 24 of the Machine Repeat podcast. I appreciate you stopping by. I know you're busy, uh, but uh, yeah, thanks for spending some time with us. I think we got a great show today. You're really going to enjoy. Um, and I don't, I don't want to wait too long until we bring our guest on because it's such a fun conversation. Uh, I will say uh, it's fun that we're having auctions start to take place again here the past month or so. Um, and we've actually got a couple for our Machine Repeat TV show we'll be filming here soon. We had to cancel a couple back in March. We were going to start filming for season eight, but we had to postpone as all the, the state uh, guidelines were changing and everything. And But again, not nice to have the on-site auctions back. And Friday, July 31st, we're going to have our crew in Worthington, Minnesota, filming the dealer inventory reduction auction for our friends at Jaycox Implement. And coming up to do the sale from Missouri is the great team at uh, Wheeler Auction and Real Estate. Chaz and Kirby and the crew there, they're a fantastic auction company. Um, and a great out buying opportunity here. Jay Cox just looking to work down some inventory. So again, that's Friday, July 31st. And you can go to wheelerauctions.com, get the sale bill. They got a lot of late model equipment on that sale. Some great, uh, like I say, opportunities to get yourself a deal. And then the next day, Saturday, August 1st, we'll be just down to the south in Granville, Iowa. And we'll be filming a farm estate auction. Uh, I hope I'm pronoun- pronouncing the name right. Uh, for Vern, oh gosh, New Newenhuis, I believe. And the sale is by my longtime friends at Vanderwerf and Associates, Rich and Todd, and the folks there, a great auction company in northwest Iowa. And Rich was one of the first auctioneers I got connected with 30 years ago when I started compiling auction prices. So always great fun to catch up with with Rich and Todd there. And again, that sale is Saturday, August 1st in Granville, Iowa. I know there's a very low hour 2012 John Deere S660 uh, combine on this sale and a really sharp John Deere 8220. So it'll be some good uh, items there. And if you're in the neighborhood, again, come on out and catch us filming Friday, uh, July 31st and Saturday, August 1st. Can't believe we're on the edge of August already, but uh, I guess time flies when you're in a pandemic or whatever. But anyway, let's bring in our guest today. And I've, I've wanted to interview this person for our podcast since we started this Machine Repeat podcast. It's Jeff Ryan um, from Cresco, Iowa. Folks, might you might know him and you might have read his his ag humor column over the years, years ago with Farm Industry News and then with Farm Progress. Um, Jeff was known as Guy Number Two, and I've known Jeff for quite a while. Just love the way he writes about farming and life. And uh, Jeff has a very inspirational uh, story. He had an essential tremor uh, growing up as a young kid on the farm there in Northeast Iowa. And some amazing brain surgeries um, in the late 90s that changed his life. And Jeff will tell us about those. So just riveting stuff, unbelievable. And uh, again, I think you're going to enjoy the conversation. Are you looking for more speed and efficiency for your harvest? The Demco 22 Series Grain Carts were designed to help you reach the next level of harvest efficiency. 
with a 22-inch unload auger, mechanically driven floor auger without belts and pulleys, and forward-reaching auger, the Demco 22 Series grain carts will perform in your fields. The unload auger also has height adjustment. Available in sizes of 1100, 1300, 1700, and 2200 bushels. Visit demco-products.com. Okay, folks, I want to welcome our guest, Jeff Ryan, better known as Guy Number Two from down near Cresco, Iowa. Jeff, thank you for joining me. Hey, thanks for having me, Greg. Yeah. I appreciate it. Well, I've been wanting to do this ever since I started this podcast, Jeff. Of all the people I've met, 30 years in the ag space, farmers, dealers, bankers, the whole bit. Um, I think your outlook on life and, and the, the humor, ag humor column that you have written over the years is my all-time favorite. I just <laughs> love visiting with you. And uh, let's start, Jeff, by uh, just giving people some background again. Now, you, you kind of grew up around Cresco? I did. I've lived here all my life. Uh, we, we started out originally as a dairy operation and then had a few beef cows and feeder cattle and finished some cattle. We had hogs also, and some of those things have kind of uh, gone away as time has, has moved on. And right now we're just uh, beef cattle, and we got a couple hundred acres of hay and mainly corn and a few soybeans once in a while. Okay. Uh, we do have one young dairyman that takes most of the hay that we have, so it's kind of fun to watch him and his operation too. Yeah, very cool. And the name of your farming operation now, it's Two Guys Farms Incorporated? Two Guys Farming Incorporated, yes. Okay. So you're guy number two. Guy number one is who? Is my older brother, Roger, and he is 14 years older than me, so you can kind of imagine how we decided who was one and who was two. <laughs> well, yeah, the uh, the seniority kind of puts you on the <laughs> short end of that stick, buddy. But uh, how did you... Uh, how did you come up with the, the tag, guy number two, by the way? Well, we had uh, John Deere salesman, our, our favorite John Deere salesman, uh, had been out here probably shortly after we started. And he was working on getting us to buy something. Uh, my brother was not around at the time. And so the salesman asked, can you sign this contract? Are, are you authorized to do that? And I said, well hey, I'm only guy number two. I don't think I can do that. And so from that point forward, he just called me guy number two, and we'd never used the titles up until that point. And it, it just stuck. Now, I think this – is this the, the salesman that was with Bodensteiners, the John Deere dealer there, Honest yes. RC? <laughs> yeah. When, when you call his voicemail, he's retired now, but his voicemail would say, this is Honest RC. I'm out in the countryside right now saving someone a bunch of money, but if you leave me a message – I'll call you back and help you save some money, too. <laughs> so how, how can you not like a guy like that? Honest RC. That's, uh, yeah, that's that's pretty good. It actually uh, brings up something, Jeff. Uh, uh, we were just exchanging emails a while ago. I had posted something on Twitter, a little shout-out to uh, uh, a guy that just retired from Bodensteiner's, a great John Deere dealer there. Arlen Moe, I think was his name. Yes. Um, was Arlen a mechanic or was he parts? He was he was a mechanic and typically uh, from, I think he'd been with, well, Bowdoin Center since he started in 93 in Decorah. Arlen had been there the whole time okay. and I think had been at the dealership before that. So he's kind of the guy that you always went to when you had questions about little square balers and forge choppers. And then he also did planters and combines. Okay. Well, you, you responded to my tweet with an email and just made a, a really good comment that 
you know, across the industry, farm equipment dealers were losing so much talent and experience. Guys like Arlen retiring now, and you just rattled through a list at your local dealer of the lo- recently last couple of years. Guys have retired. It's kind yeah. of amazing, isn't it? it? It was unreal when they had about five or six guys there in the photo at his retirement. Uh, three of them had been in the parts department probably within the last three years, I think, when the three of them retired. Okay. And they had around 140-some years of experience wow. doing the three of them. I loved your note about, uh, was it PJ, the senior mechanic? and the. <laughs> I'll let yeah. you, I'll let you he, tell the story. He, he was telling me one day when I was down there, he said, you know, one of these young kids came over the other day. Paul's probably about my age or maybe a little bit older, somewhere in his early 50s or so. And he said they, the kid came over and he had a question about a 4440, and he wasn't familiar with it at all. And I, I oh. thought, well, what, you know, this is not a two-cylinder. He said, I didn't think it was that much of an antique, but he had no idea what to do with it. So he said, man, I felt really old when I realized that somebody didn't know anything about a 4440. Man, that young mechanic must not read machinery peat much, I guess. <laughs> That's all I write about. <laughs> yeah, things are really, uh, they kind of sneak up and change uh, a lot faster than we realize. I guess it's a sign we're getting older, buddy. It could be. But let's uh, let's pick this up now, Jeff, because, again, you know, a lot of our listeners, I'm sure they've enjoyed your columns through the years. But uh, so let's start off with the – now, you, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you didn't train as a writer, did you? No, I never did. Um, I've just always been able to tell stories, and, and the written form worked well. And so for me, uh, I, I've had a medical condition most of my life called essential tremor. And so that's kind of a uncontrollable shaking of the hands and the voice. And so what I discovered years ago was that if people had the first impression of you on the page versus in person, they'd probably think more of you. Hmm. So if you can make a great impression with written material, then they'd probably give you the benefit of the doubt for any other physical shortcomings. Okay. Interesting. Now, the your actual writing... Uh, used to be Farm Industry News. Is that who you officially started with years ago? Yeah. In fact, that one, I, I had started as a member of Team Farm Industry News. I had about 15 or 20 farmers that would uh, test and review products. Okay. And so I was on that one from probably 2001 or so, I think, was when I started. Okay. And at the same time, I believe it was either EA Weekly or Hay and Forge Grower had uh, an article asking if any readers had experienced hiring a truck to haul hay. And I had a story about that, and so I sent the email in and never heard a reply. And it was probably a week or two later when one of the guys that uh, coordinated the the stuff for Team Finn got a hold of me and he said, hey, we had this email forwarded to us, and we thought it was hilarious. What's the background on this? (laughs) And so it was the one that I had sent to a forge grower, and then I said, oh, why? I send those out almost every week to a group of friends and I just thought that kind of met the criteria that they were looking for for their article but he said well how do you do it and do you mail them or what and I said no they're they're all just emails and I have a list of people that that get them and he said well put me on that list I want to read some of these and then probably a year later or so I had a story about when I went to um, Sears in Rochester to get an impact wrench okay and so he got a hold of me after that one. He said, we like that one so much, we want to put it in the magazine if that'd be okay. <laughs> I said, sure, that'd be fine. So they published that one. 
and then said they, they got enough of a response from it that they wanted to arrange some way that they could get them more frequently, maybe not necessarily in the actual magazine. So that's when they brought up the idea of just, just having it posted on their website. Okay, and websites back then kind of just getting cranked up late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah, not, not doing a lot, of, a lot of volume, and not everybody had a high-speed connection. So, right. you know, text articles like that were great. Uh, videos were almost out of the question here in rural America because we never had enough speed to, to right. download anything. Right. YouTube wouldn't have done us much good with AOL, would it? No, it would not. Uh, so that you were actually just writing, like, your own commentary to friends in the email chain. Yeah, and a lot of that started in 1996 when we first got internet service on the farm. Okay. Uh, the, the Rag Ride Ride, which is a bike ride of about ten or 15,000 people that go across the state of Iowa, uh, they stay in designated towns along the way. And we had a group that stayed with us in 1996. A lot of them were from Des Moines and central Iowa, and it worked with uh, one of my sisters who was down there. And these were all pretty white-collar people, some lawyers, bankers, nurses, school teachers, uh, you name it, but they had very little farm experience. Okay. So while we had them here that night, uh, we fed them like farmers, steaks, pork chops, the whole works, and figured that was kind of how they ate every day. Yep. And they were just blown away by that. And so they had a ton of questions when we gave them a tour of the operation that night. Okay. And so email had just come about at that point. And so I would, I would share some of the stories of what we were doing, some of the science involved, some of the, the thought process behind of uh, the different things that we did on the farm. And they just loved it. And I'd get other questions from them. I'd get responses to the stories that I would tell. So we just got in the habit of sending out something almost every week to oh. those people. Okay. Interesting. And then they would forward it on to other people. And next thing you know, somebody else wants to be added to the group. And I think there's probably a hundred and... 125, 140, something like that at one point. In your observations, Jeff, well, first, I just want to direct people where they need to go to find, uh, just go to farmprogress.com and and type you in this Jeff Ryan, guy number two in the search box, right? Yes, that's probably about the easiest way to find him. Or Google, too, folks. Just go to Google and type in Jeff Ryan, R-Y-A-N, guy number two, and you'll see Jeff's uh, archive columns. If you've got time, I'm telling you what, these are such good reads. They just make you smile and laugh and cry. <laughs> They're awesome. But one thing I, that I've loved, Jeff, is that you you kind of take a longer form approach. You kind of whine. You tell a story. It's kind of almost reminds me of the old Minnesota guy up here, Garrison Keeler. You, yeah. You kind of uh, you tell a story, but you tell stories within stories. Where, where did that style I, come from? Um. I guess I don't really have a, a good answer for I, I didn't start out that way looking to have some lengthy ones. I know my English teachers always thought when, when I would show them a, a story, we need to cut some material out here. We could, we could shorten <laughs> this up, tighten it up a little bit. I was never made for Twitter with most of those stories. <laughs> yeah, they, well, that's the beauty of it, though. It's when, when I get to the end of a Jeff story, I just, it, the day is a good day. And it's, uh, so folks, <laughs> That's originally how I got in the habit of sending them out on Fridays because 
I had gotten to the point where uh, a couple people who got them said, you know what, I usually don't have time until Friday afternoon to read this at the end of my week, and it's just a great way to end the week for me. So I just got in the habit of sending them out usually on Friday mornings when I'd write them at some point, either Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, somewhere in there, and Interesting. You know, look them over a couple times and, and send it out on Friday then. So they became known as Friday stories. I imagine I was... I hope this isn't going to end up with me being in a Friday story. <laughs> well, anyone that comes into your uh, your sphere has that potential to wind up in one of your stories. But uh, I <laughs> yes, always they do. I always imagined uh, folks reading your pieces, Jeff, with either with a beer or a beverage, whatever their beverage of choice is, and just kind of smiling. But uh, let's let's back this up a little bit. We'll get to some of you know the, your your most. Uh, response columns over the years. I want to touch on those in a bit too. But the essential tremor, now that, did you have that from, did that start when you were like a teenager or that been with you longer or? Uh, One of my sisters is 12 or 13 years older than me. And so she went to, she went to college the same week that I started kindergarten. So she would be gone for long periods of time. And when she would come back, she would notice the difference in me and said, you know, a kid that age, and I was five, six years old at the time, shouldn't have that much trouble doing some of the fine motor skills. Oh. I was also a type 1 diabetic since age three, so as a rule, if you're unsteady, then it's typically low blood sugar. Okay. And so we just thought nothing of it, thought, well, you know, low blood sugar, and we didn't have the fast, easy testing systems like we had, like we do today back right. then. Right. And so we just went went along never did anything until i was probably a junior or senior in high school somewhere in there and one of the teachers had recommended that i uh, have it looked into and so i went to my local doctor he pulled out his Merck manual because he was stumped and they had kind of a flow chart in there and he said well he asked questions as we went through the flow chart and he said Based on that, the condition that you probably have is essential tremor, and a drug company rep just left me a couple samples for the one that they recommend here as as the best solution. Hmm. So take these home and try them for a couple of days, these these pills, and see what they do. And they work fairly well. And then after I had, um, let's see, that would have been probably around 1986. You were still in high school. Yeah, I graduated in 1986, and so... As time went on, you would usually either have to move to a different class of medication or a stronger version of whatever you were taking at the time, and the side effects just got to be uh, a huge pain. Mm. Uh, The one that worked the best on tremor control, I'd be sleeping 14 hours at night. And the the 10 hours of the day I was awake, I was not really all that functional. And I thought, boy, if that's what it takes to to just be able to drink a glass of water, uh, hold on to anything... You know, that's wow. that's not a great life to lead. And Jeff, after high school, did, did you stay on the farm farming or did you go to school? Or I went to Iowa State and got a, a bachelor's degree in animal science. Animal but science. I, never, I never went out and got a job anywhere else. Uh, so I've always been on the farm. Okay. My, basically my whole life. Okay. Now the, the essential tremor, did it just kind of continue to worsen the next decade for you? Yeah. It, it got it got worse, and then Friday the 13th of June, 1997, I saw an article on the front page of the Des Moines Register 
where they had performed a, a, a radical new procedure, uh, brain surgery, on a retired farmer from southwest Iowa. And so they put this device in him that acts like a pacemaker connected with a, a wire that runs into the brain and would send electrical stimulation into the brain and basically eliminate the tremors for him. And as I read the story, I thought, boy, when he listed all of his symptoms and how it affects his daily life, that's going to be me in mm. a few more years. And I thought, that's actually me right now as it stands at the time. But he had, you know, 30 or 40 years on me at that time. Right. So I called up to see if I could get in to see the neurologist who was mentioned in the article. And they said, you can't make this appointment yourself. We need a referral. And the neurologist I was seeing at the time I knew was not going to be a fan of that surgery. So yeah. back to the bicycle group, one of those uh, riders was a family practice physician mm. in Southwest Iowa. And I said, I need to see this neurologist in Des Moines. How do I get in to do that without stepping on toes with my other one? And he said, boy, you know, coincidentally, that neurologist comes to my clinic every oh, two weeks. Wow. I can, I can get you in to see her. By the way, I didn't know you had this condition. You hide it extremely well. Hmm. Interesting. The, 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 the little uh, twists and turns of life, the fact that you read the Des Moines Register that Sunday and the fact that you had uh, dealt with the, the bike rider group on your farm. And, wow. Everything everything came together just great. And uh, KCCI is the CBS affiliate in Des Moines. They would also had a reporter uh, there in the operating room with them to cover the surgery. Wow. And so my sister had told me that the story was going to be on. That was back in the days of analog TV yep. when, uh, especially in the summertime, I get awesome reception up here so I could watch Des Moines stations 200 miles away and get a really good picture. Okay. So I, I managed to record part of that story and saw it. And I thought, wow, when you actually see it instead of read about it, that makes a huge difference. Wow. And is this, so that surgery that they were describing and the one you saw, is that, am I remembering right? Is that one where the patient is sort of kind of awake? Yes. You get a local anesthetic, uh, they will drill a hole through the skull while you're awake, and then they take an electrode, put it down into the thalamus, kind of in the center of the brain, okay. and, and we'll turn on the, the pacemaker to send electrical stimulation, and then test the patient's tremor during surgery, so you're... Mm. Uh, drawing circles, spirals, things like that, holding onto a coffee cup, uh, anything to kind of test your motor skills because essential tremor compared to Parkinson's, the best way I heard uh, the, the difference described was that if a coffee cup is on the table, the essential tremor patient uh, will be perfectly steady while it's there on the table and they get shakier as the coffee cup comes up to their mouth. Hmm. Parkinson's, on the other hand, since the essential tremor is a tremor of action, Parkinson's will be shaking more aggressively while the cup is on the table, and they get a little bit steadier as it comes to the mouth. Interesting. Okay. So then uh, you were able to get through to the doctor, the specialist in Des Moines then? Yes. And I went in to see her. Oh, I don't remember if that would have been... December maybe of 97 okay. I think it was probably right before Christmas and she said after we did all the various tests to see how your camera uh, is quantify it kind of she said you know Mr. Ryan you're as bad as most of my patients in their 70s 
Wow. And at the time I was 29 years old. And so she said, it's only going to get worse with time. Hmm. So let's look and see what kind of insurance you have and if there's going to be any problem. And I, I think you'll have no problem qualifying for surgery, okay. which I ended up doing. And then we did that in March of 1998. So you did your first brain surgery, March 98, for the essential tremor. Was yeah. that done in uh, Twin Cities or Rochester? or? That was done at Iowa Methodist in Des Moines. Oh, Des Moines I think I right was there. probably okay. their 16th or 17th patient. Okay. They'd gotcha. done, they were actually one of the trial centers for uh, the FDA program okay. as an experimental surgery. So it had gotten FDA approval in September of 97, I believe it was. Well, Jeff, so you'll have, it was you'll a have couple to, months after that. You'll have to tell me if you're comfortable talking about this part, but I, you've shared a, some detail about the surgery itself. Uh, it Was it actually, well, describe the drilling process. I almost, I almost got weak-kneed when you told me. <laughs> The surgeon that, that I had, uh, great guy, I, I love him, but he's old school, so instead of a high-speed dental drill, he used a hand crank drill. A hand and so drill? It's, it's something straight out of a scary movie. Uh, you can, you're laying there on the table, and your head kind of fastened down essentially in a vise so it doesn't move, and you've got this guy running a hand crank drill directly above your skull, and he's just huffing and puffing trying to get it through because, you know, I have a thick skull. <laughs> and so he's cranking away on that thing, and finally, you know, you're thinking the whole time, boy, what kind of depth stop does he have on this so that he stops before he goes all the way through? <laughs> but it, it wasn't a problem. The worst part probably was that you hear it from the inside. And so that is a sound that you will never replicate anywhere else. There are a few things where the, the pitch matches the, the sound of that drill coming through just perfectly. Oh, well, I mean, what, what? It's, it's worse than fingernails on a chalkboard for a lot of people. Oh, my gosh. Jeff, you are a warrior. That's un, unreal. But you, So you're, you got the anesthetic or whatever, but you're, you're kind of awake there on the table. Yeah, and the key to that is that your tremors go away when you're asleep, so they can't give you a general anesthetic and, and knock you out. Oh. Because then the yeah. tremor, when the tremor goes away, um, they are going in areas within the brain. If they move the position of that electrode half a millimeter, uh, that could be the difference between success and no response at all. Wow. So when you look at tiny, tiny little changes in position of that level. You have to have the patient awake. You have to have the patient physically active doing something to make the tremor observable, basically, during surgery. Okay. So what did they have you do while they were doing the surgery with your hands then? They took a clipboard, and I would draw spirals on that. And then they also had a coffee cup. Uh, usually take a ceramic coffee cup with a metal spoon and if you hold that up, uh, it just shatters like mad when the tremor is really active. Mm. And then when they hit the right spot, just dead quiet. Just stopped. Wow. What was yeah. that like? There were people that just gasped in the operating room because they hit it. And, it, you know, you had people there, nurses, doctors. Wow. Man. So, you know, that was that was a big deal. Mm. So how, how long was the procedure? How long did that take? I checked in at about 5.30. I think I got to the operating room somewhere around 7 or 7.30. And then when they put the generators in later, at that time they did the whole procedure in one day. Um, 
I think it's probably one thirty or two when I woke up in recovery, wow. somewhere in there. So it it can run anywhere from four to six hours, I think, when they did it all at once. A lot of the time now, they'll break that up into two separate surgeries. Okay. So they'll position the electrodes one time and then uh, do a second surgery uh, either a week later, two weeks later, something like that, to implant the battery back in the generator. So this is just over 20 years ago now, Jeff. When you when you got out of that surgery, were you just, I mean, were you totally fine? How? Well, the other the other thing is they would typically wait about 30 days or so to activate it. So you get that moment in the operating room where everything is great. Yep. And then you wake up in recovery and it's, it's turned off. Uh, they don't activate it for another month or so. You will get some honeymoon effect from having that area of the brain stimulated so your tremor may not be as bad as it was at its peak but it comes back right away so then Mm. you get to wait for four weeks knowing what the potential is in that Mm. time okay then you go in with kind of what amounted to a not quite a computer mouse but uh something like that that they would hold over the the generator and they can program different electrical electronic settings of the device change wavelength amplitude uh things like that to maximize your tremor control and minimize any side effects so you you just were back home then back on the farm picking up and i imagine being able to do some tasks that you hadn't been able to do that must have been unbelievable it was it was a huge difference because even that day that i got programmed um i was probably still running a giant bag phone for a cell phone back then in the 90s and I called home and didn't get an answer and so I said well I got this thing done and and this is impressive so I I can't wait to get home and show you what it looks like and you know you could put uh, put a wrench on nuts and bolts and it wouldn't chatter like it did before Um, I've used artificial insemination in my beef cows since the early 80s and that was getting hard to get straws of semen out of the nitrogen tank in enough time that they wouldn't thaw out. Right. So there's all kinds of little things. Right, right. Hmm. Oh, that's just amazing, Jeff. Now the, 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 I don't even know what you call it, the electrode or the device that was implanted, was that a Medtronic device? Yeah. It was uh, an Activa deep brain stimulator. Okay. And so uh, Medtronic has always been uh, a huge company in the pacemaker uh, world. And so at at that time, the the neuro division was kind of a little tiny part of Medtronic. And so I happened to send some comments to them on their website on a Friday night, 7, 8 o'clock or so. And someone from Medtronic replied yet on Sunday that weekend. Okay. Now, when you say, said, when you say, you know, sent thank, a little, thanks for the comments. When you say, sent a little comment, you were being guy number two in your own voice style, there, right? <laughs> well, I, I, I kind of told what it had done for me and how appreciative I was and said, if there's anything I can do for you, by all means, let me know. And they did let you know, did they not? They did. They, they had someone get in touch and they said, you know, this, this sounds really great. Um, probably as impressed by my age as anything, mm. because the majority of the people that you saw when you looked at videos and literature were Medicare patients. Okay. And so, and that's one thing I remember the, the neurologist saying during surgery too, was let's make sure we do this one 
perfect because this guy could have this device for a long time. Right. right. Said, so, you know, most of our patients are in their 60s, 70s, and in that area, we've, we've never had one that young before. Well, Jeff, I'm trying to remember again your years of awesome stories. I, I know you had a blog talking about your relationship with Medtronic and how did it happen that you wound up speaking to like a huge, was it their quarterly meeting or something? Yeah, we had a couple different opportunities. I was part of an email discussion list back then, and there was a, a Medtronic employee who was on that list, and she sent me an email and said, we're assembling a small focus group of patients. Would it be possible for you to come to Minneapolis and talk to our, our marketing people? And so I think there were maybe five or six of us there that day. Yeah. And so we, we did a few things there and, and kind of told them about what our lives had been like prior to surgery. And then the president of the neuro division came in and spoke to us uh, for a few minutes that day. And I thought, that's kind of nice that they would send somebody in of, of that caliber to talk to essentially a bunch of, you know, just people straight off the street. So I sent him a thank you note and I put a copy of my business card in it. And about two or three weeks later, I got a, an email from the marketing person and she said, we're having our national sales meeting and we would like to invite you up here to speak to our employees if you, if you could. So that was probably, I don't know, 75 people, 100, okay. something like that. Okay. So I went up and spoke to that group and let's see, that would have been probably April, April or May of, of uh, 2001. Sure. And had a great reception for those people. I'd written a testimonial letter in the meantime to Medtronic and they wanted me to read that one in front of everybody and I mm. said, I I can't read that one because it's a little bit too tough. Yeah. So they had someone, well, they had the marketing person read it. Right. And then when they did the introductions, at the beginning of the meeting, the president got up and said, here's what we're going to cover today. By the way, you're also going to get to meet this guy. And he puts a copy of my business card on the screen up front <laughs> and gave my entire history. And I thought that guy was paying attention. And if he actually remembered all those details about my life. Right. So one thing led to another, and I was there for, I think I've probably been up there five or six different times to speak at employee meetings. Okay. In 2002, they invited me to the, the really big meeting, and that's where they basically shut down the company uh, for one day about a week before Christmas or so. Mm. Uh, everybody can watch from closed circuit, or they can go to the uh, atrium in the building. And they had five or six patients come in and describe what their life has been like prior to their Medtronic product and since their Medtronic product. Mm. And so I got was asked to uh, to speak about my device. I also have an insulin pump from Medtronic, but that that always ends up kind of being forgotten for the most part. Sure. So you go to dinner with the executives the night before and, and one other friend that I'd known there who was, uh, did a lot of media things for them said, as she introduced me to the chief executive's uh, wife, she said, you have to tell her this story. And so I told her that particular story and she said, uh, the CEO's wife said, you have to give that story as part of your presentation tomorrow. Mm. And I told her there's no way I can meet the time limits because they told us ahead of time you will have seven minutes, not seven minutes and two seconds, seven minutes, cover it all, and then you're done. 
And I said, there's no way I can do that. She said, well. You're long form Jeff. (laughs) That's right. That's right. And so I said, uh, I I don't think I can cut enough stuff out and still not get the point of my story across, thanking everybody for what they've done. And she said, he's my husband. I'll make sure there's time for it. Mm. So I told the story the next day, and it went over extremely well. Awesome. Awesome. Well, that's, uh, yeah, that's just uh, amazing, the day and age we live in, Jeff. And uh, But again, the sequence of events that, that led to that. And uh, so here we are, 20-plus years later, you're still just rolling just fine? Yeah, and they, they put other patients in touch with me in the meantime. And so if they were interested in having surgery, they would have a patient get in touch with me. And I said, that's basically how I found out about it. It wasn't from my doctor. It was a media story that I had seen. So a lot of these people would call and ask, what was life like before? What's it been like since? Uh, What other problems have you had? So I think I have 140 patients now who've gone ahead and had surgery after talking to me about it. I'm sure it's extremely helpful for them to talk to, yeah, someone who's been through it your age and yeah. That's awesome. Well, now let's pivot a little bit uh, to your columns again, Jeff. And again, folks, go to Google, type Jeff Ryan, guy number two. You'll you'll find these gems out here. But I asked you a while back, Jeff, just to send me, you know, or some of your favorites. Um, now, if I set you up on these, uh, like number one, the penny story. Uh, that's that's the one that I told at the Medtronic uh, holiday program. Ah, okay. So that's that's the one that the wife of the CEO. Uh, yes. Okay. D- demanded that I tell in front of everyone. Okay. Is that so? Can you can you relay it to us now? Yes, I sh- I sure can. When I had first surgery in, in March of ninety eight, everything went well. A uh, TV station in Waterloo, Iowa, did a story about it, and I stayed in touch with the reporter. She grew up actually not that far away from me, and so I was going to have a second procedure the next year to install another device because at that time FDA had not given clearance for two at once, and she decided, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we brought cameras into the operating room? And I said, I I have no problem with that. So we got clearance from the hospital and everybody else and the doctors, and they were good with it. We went ahead. We did surgery. Everything was fine. I started getting the bills for it later, and I was making copies of the videotapes to send to other interested patients. And about that time, I got the bill from anesthesia, and the the bill was $1,350 or so, somewhere in there. Mm -hmm. And then a check came from the insurance company for around 1100 and it was made out to me. And so I called the doctors and said, it should have gone to you. I'll endorse it and we'll be even. They said, no, we want the full amount because we didn't sign our preferred provider agreement on January 1st for your February surgery. So we can charge you the full amount. Hmm. And we argued back and forth. And, and about that time, I was making copies of the videotape to send to a patient. And I noticed a scene in the operating room. Here's the anesthesiologist sitting there with his feet kind of up uh, in a relaxed position. And I thought, this guy wants a bonus this time compared to the last surgery. And he doesn't really look like he was working that hard. (laughs) So I looked at my previous surgeries the year before to see how much I paid them. And it was 924 bucks. 
So I talked to the surgeon and the neurologist and explained what the issue was. And they said, well, send a sternly worded letter and let them know that this is what seems fair. So I sent the letter with a check for 925 and hoped that we could just settle at 1100 And they got the insurance company involved and said, nope, we want the full 1352 So my balance at that time was $427. Okay. I had a friend who worked at a bank, and I said, I have the problem, this problem with these people. Here's what they did. And, he, and I said, could you help me? I need $427 worth of pennies to pay these guys because I've called already, and they said they'd accept cash. So to me, that's cash. Absolutely. And he said, I would love to help you with that. So we got the pennies together, which weighed about 265 pounds. And we got some friends together from the bike group again, and we unrolled a bunch of them that night. Hmm. So instead of instead of taking organized boxes, we had loose ones. And I put them on a two-wheel dolly that we used on the farm for moving barrels of oil around and went into the hall outside their office, parked it there, took my statement in and said, I'd like to pay this bill. Can I pay it in cash? All of my attorney friends said, make sure that they say they will accept cash because then they have to. And they said, yeah, sure, no problem. So I said, oh, I don't have that much on me. Just a second, I'll be right back. And I wheeled in my dolly with all the money on it, the loose change. (laughs) And we had some of it in big canvas bags and I lobbed a couple of those up on the desk. And I I had found out when I did a demonstration with my doctor the week before that, that all of the doctors were going to be at a golf tournament that day. So I knew none of them would be around and it would just be the receptionists. So I thought, well, that's probably my chance to go in and pay this the way I did. So we were thinking a step ahead and we decided we would throw in three extra pennies so that when they take it to a change counter, they're going to have to send me a check for three cents to make up the difference. <laughs> and instead, they took the statement and they scotch taped three pennies to the bottom of it and mailed it back to me. <laughs> Jeff, that's that's awesome. That is awesome. I think a lot of people, obviously, and you got a huge reaction to that uh, column. Is that right? I, I did. I did. Yeah, that's awesome. I got to ask you about another one on the list. Uh, I think it was num- your number four on the list. I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, but Ada Austin, the old goat woman. Yes, she was. She was a character from uh, Harmony, Minnesota, just across the border uh, from me. And somewhere along the way, I think my my mom used to used to run programs for senior citizens at the bank, and so they'd go on tours and and see businesses. And they used to go to Ada's place. She had um, Angora goats. And so she would take the mohair from those goats. And she had some stay-at-home moms that were were making that into really, really great socks. And so dad had a pair of them and said, you know, these will keep your feet warm really well. And they were a lot more money than, than usual socks. Mm-hmm. And I tried them and they were great. And so I went up to uh, to see her and got some myself, and and then got to know Ada along the way, and she was she was just great. Um, everything she had, she loved the color purple. So her house was purple, her car was purple. She was always wearing purple. Vikings fan. Yes, yes. <laughs> hmm. And so then uh, the we had. Woman. Oh, I, I sent a pair 
of socks to the guys at WHO in Des Moines, Mark Pearson, yeah. and I think at that time probably Ken Root. Yep. And I sent sent some socks to the guys because Mark had been talking before about how he had a pair of socks and his feet were always cold when he was doing chores. Right. So I sent sent some to them, and, and Mark called me one day and said, hey, we love these socks. Can we have you on to talk about them? And I said, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll do it. So we talked about the socks that day, and I got an email from Ada that night, and she said, I had informed her I'd be on the air talking about them today. She says, I don't know who you are, but she said, my phone has not quit ringing for most of the day today. Yeah. I just sold a ton of socks. How old would you guess Ada was when you were dealing with her? I think she was probably around 70. 70, okay. Somewhere there. Now that uh, actually segues another one of your top columns, our friend Mark Pearson. Um, I got looking at that column, Jeff, and boy, I can't believe how long it's been since Mark uh, left us with that yeah. heart attack back in, was it 2012, I think? Yes. And you, you knew yep. Mark, of course, the host of Market to Market on Iowa Public TV and around the country. Just an awesome guy. One of the, probably the best you and Mark may be the two best storytellers I've run across. Uh, you knew Mark pretty well. I did. We used to exchange emails. And that probably, I, I remember I just sent his, his kids an email here about a month ago or so because it was 15 years uh, since my first email to Mark. when he, he used to issue what he called the Mark Pearson Hay Advisory mm. on the big show at noon. When weather conditions were perfect, and a hay advisory, a Mark Pearson hay advisory was issued. You could go out with confidence and cut hay and make uh, beautiful bales out of it. Nice. And so he had issued a Mark Pearson hay advisory back then, and I had two or three hundred acres of hay that we bailed that was perfect. And so I sent him an email to thank him for it. And I said, is there any way I could do anything for you in uh, return for it? I don't want this to turn into some kind of payola scandal like the 1950s. We don't <laughs> want to see Mark doing the perp walk down to federal courthouse in Des Moines. Yeah. Mm. And so Mark and I started exchanging emails from that point forward. He had um, a steakhouse in Texas, I think it was, that had a 72-ounce steak. And if you could finish the steak, you um, probably got on their wall of fame and got some shirt. And he said, well, we've done some, some research here, and we've had the good people at Hy-Vee. Uh, they've got us a 73-ounce steak, so we're going to be cooking that one today with Iowa Secretary of Agriculture. And before they went to the commercial, he said, we really need a catchy name for this somehow. Uh, if anybody has any ideas, let us know. So they cut to commercial, and I sent Mark an email, and I said, what if we call it the Northey Pearson Petite Sirloin? <laughs> and when they, when they came back, he said, Bill, we've got an answer. <laughs> I think we've got the name. Well, you didn't train so when, I was, yeah. when I was down in Des Moines one time, then I said, Mark, I'm going to be in your area. Um, can I step out of the office? He used to broadcast from uh, an office in Winterset, a little mm -hmm. way south of Des Moines. Okay. He said, absolutely, get yourself down here. So we stopped to grab a bite to eat and as we were headed back to the office he wanted to go out to the farm and he said my son called and said we had the last calf of the, the year today so you want to go out to the farm and look at it and I said yeah sure hey by the way I'm driving the buggy today instead of the car you want to take that and he said absolutely <laughs> so he got in the dune buggy with me and, and we went out there now this this dune buggy Jeff, this is, uh, you've written about it. I remember you came out to an auction that I was filming for YouTube. I think it was in the fall. It was kind of cold. Maybe it was spring. It was chilly, but you had this yellow dune buggy 
Like, uh-huh. What do you call it? The guy number two mobile? The guy number two mobile, yes. Where did you get this dune buggy? I got that on eBay. My retired science teacher uh, used to drive a little Volkswagen dune buggy similar to that. And he'd go by all the time on his way to the golf course, usually when I was out cutting hay or doing something where I was working all the time by the road. And he had the biggest smile on his face, and he'd wave at me as he drove by. And I thought, man, that looks like fun. If I ever get a chance to do one of something like that sometime, I think I will. And so one day I happened to look on eBay, and there was this dune buggy in Washington State. Washington? What Do you remember what you paid for it? Um, you don't have to tell no, me. No, I, I, I don't. Because I, there were there were several of them at the time, and my gosh, some of the people just had incredible um, paint jobs that they put on them. Mm. There's one that had like the Tasmanian Devil on the hood, Ooh, nice. and I think that one was at ten grand or better that day. Yikes! I think I was somewhere around maybe three or four thousand. What did it cost you to ship it back from Washington? <laughs> three hundred bucks. After, after the yeah, after the the auction was complete, you get an email from eBay and it says, "By the way, uh, considering your purchase, we just wanted you to know that we also have a shipping division. So please give us a, a send us an email and we'll arrange a quote for you." And so it was three hundred and twelve dollars or something like that. And I thought, "Holy cow! I can't even get a one way ticket to go out and look for it, look <laughs> no. at it for that." To have it delivered to Northeast Iowa to Cresco. That, yeah, that and, and the guy river. came right out to the yard. So I didn't even have to go find a loading dock or anything else to, to meet him somewhere. Now, the car, the dune buggy has kind of become your, your one of your calling cards, Jeff. What do people, when you first started tooling around Cresco and that, what, did, what kind of looks did you get? Well, a lot of them figured it was uh, Mr. Beckman out driving around and he mm. maybe gotten a paint job. But... <laughs> um, I, I think from the time I got it in December of 2003, I broke my foot in about April of 2011. I had driven it every month in between then. Wow. Because I, I took it out. Christmas Day was always one where I'd go out for a 20 or 30-mile drive. And I know I met minivans full of uh, families where the kids were saying, Dad, Dad, did you see that? I want one of those next year. Christmas Day, you're tooling around the Turkey River in Cresco, Iowa, in your yellow dune buggy? Uh-huh. That's uh-huh. awesome. And you just did it just because? Yeah, and it, it really wasn't that cold in the thing either. You know, it, it <laughs> looks like you would freeze in it, but it had a big enough windshield up front that it blocked a lot of the wind, so it wasn't that bad. Well, I know that day at the auction, that was the only dune buggy in the uh, parking area. <laughs> <laughs> That's, every time I, I see that... It, and, and you've written about that. It just makes me smile so much, Jeff. It's now on the topic of the dune buggy. Um, I hope it's okay. I, yeah, recently, you had mentioned your mom had passed away. Was it just just a couple months ago? Was it in May? Yeah, it was, it was in May of, of uh, 2020. Elsie was that mom's name? Elsie. Yes. Two two days short of her 91st birthday. Yes. Wow. And you again? I just love how you write. Jeff, but you had uh, you actually took mom's ashes to the cemetery in the dune buggy? Did I, is that? I, yeah, that's right. Because a year before, um, I think that was in the summer of 
you know, it was the summer of 18, I pulled into the yard and I was going to go out for a drive in the buggy. And she was 89 years old at the time. And I said, did you want to ride along? And before I could unbuckle my seatbelt on the driver's side, she had hopped in with me already in the front seat. <laughs> and so I thought, well, okay. So we went driving around. We saw, we met a farmer, a friend of mine, not far away. And he realized who it was when, uh, when he met us. And he just about died laughing as we met him in his ranger. Mm-hmm. Elsie, so so my my uncle, dad's brother had died uh, a few years before that. He used to work for United Airlines and did flight schedules, uh, flight crews, fuel, all kinds of uh, technical things like that. So we had a funeral for him back here after he died. And I ended up having to go back to the church when we got out to the cemetery. He'd been cremated and we didn't realize it until we got there. No one brought him with with them. Funeral director didn't have him. The family didn't have him. So here's all of the mourners waiting at the cemetery, and the ashes are back in Cresco. So I had to fly back to town and get it. As I was going out of town, I came up to the stop sign, and I thought, boy, I really want to just take a right and go home. It's only a mile or two, and then I could get Uncle Paul and put him in the buggy to take back with me. He would just love that. So I told mom about that when I got done that day, and she said, oh, you should have. He would have loved that. You know, when it's my time, could you do that with me? Mm. And I said, yeah, if you're serious. She said, I think that would just be great. Mm. So that's what we did. Contingent upon uh, time of year. Well, no, I guess if you're driving on Christmas Day, (laughs) you would have. You would yeah, have gone I, down. I, I could get by. I said, uh, it, it depends. I, I won't do it in a blizzard. Uh, I won't do it in ice. But otherwise, yeah, we can we can make it work 12 months a year. I'm sure mom was then and is now just smiling down at uh, <laughs> how you roll, Jeff. That is awesome. I, just awesome. I'd like to think so. That's awesome. Now, got to pivot again just a little bit. And again, I, I always love visiting with you, Jeff, and we've had a lot of fun conversations. Just a few random things I'll throw at you. Now, I'm a huge Walt Disney fan. I've been taking the family down there, and I love it from the business standpoint, all the little details and trying to, you know, see what they're doing, attention to detail. But I know you're a Disney fan. So, yes, I am. So which of the four parks is your favorite? If you had one day, which Disney park would you go to? If, if I had one day, I would probably spend it all at Epcot and be perfectly satisfied Preferably during one of the food festivals, either food and wine or flower garden. Okay, gotcha. Now, if okay, so if you're at Epcot and you're tooling around the, uh, oh, I'm having a, a mind block here. Why can't I think the, of it? The uh, World Showcase. World Showcase. World Showcase. And you, you've got time for a meal, and you can sit down anywhere at World Showcase to have dinner. Where would you recommend people stop? different options i think uh if it's if it's not during a festival and you go to one of the restaurants you can't go wrong at the la cellier canadian steakhouse um i'm not sure i can remember how to pronounce the one in france but uh the france the france booth for the food and wine festival has been outstanding Mm. and flower and garden so i think that'd be a great place to go i've actually not been in the restaurant at France, I've eaten at their booth at Food and Wine Festival a couple of times. Yeah, that uh, that Food and Wine is pretty fun there to sample everything as you walk around. And okay, now uh, on the ride side at Walt Disney World, what would be your one if you had time for one more ride? What would that be? I 
think I'd probably go on Soren. They've changed it a little bit in the last couple of years uh, to a newer, newer version. Uh, I still like the original one too. Yeah. It's not like the, the newer one is bad, but um, I think between Soren and Spaceship Earth, those would mm. be the two that that it, it'd be a, a close close race between the two of them. But I'd probably go with Soren. Spaceship Earth that has that strong nostalgia, doesn't it? Uh, it does. Yeah, very cool. Okay, well, I'm glad I got your Disney World thoughts there, Jeff. Now, I, I just got to ask you, too, um, your thoughts on where we are with this uh, pandemic. Um, so you're farming there in Cresco, northeast Iowa. Are you hopeful for how we're going to come out of this? or what? Just I'm just curious, guy, guy number two's take on where we're at. You know, from, from a practical standpoint, I don't know that it's changed – my life all that much compared to people that are that are in a big city uh, that work in an office job. It's mm-hmm. not like things have changed dramatically. You maybe don't go into the equipment dealership to get parts. They'll bring them out to the door. Um, you know, typically we've always been going through the drive-through for for food to go anyway while we're working. Right. Right. So that part wasn't a huge change. Um, just wearing the masks and stuff, I guess, is is the big difference. But I I don't really know what it will take, what level of um, infection or or severity it will take before we reach a conclusion where everything's yeah. fine or right or, or where we go. Right. Well, we'll see. Hopefully, we'll get some good news here soon. I see they're starting to get some positive trials going. And now, one thing, Jeff, uh, you mentioned yesterday. Uh, you were on your first Zoom call. And uh-huh. Was that with the same bike group that you keep mentioning? <laughs> yes, it was. As a matter of fact, and you were in the were you in the cab of a tractor? Yeah, I was outside at the time because they do those at five o'clock at night, and I said, "Well." You people that have real jobs are done at five o'clock, but I'm not. So, <laughs> oh, that's cool. And summing up, Jeff, uh, you've had an amazing life, and I love how you've given back, you're sharing your thoughts uh, with writing, and just when it comes to farming, uh, what do you love about it? I mean, what what is it that gets you up every day and with a smile on your face to, to keep rocking? I think the fact that there's so many different ways to do things, and you can change. Sometimes the smallest changes make big differences. Mm-hmm. So we can go out. We, we go out every day and assume that uh, we're going to do it better than we did yesterday. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that comes down to your own creativity and how you can get some of those processes. Um, just the day to day grind. You never you never see the same thing day after day after day after day when in class reunions I think have always been a good example of that I said if you go to a class reunion and listen to people describe what they do for work some of them just sound like it's a dead end and they hate going to their job every day and then you see that the ones that farm there really aren't that many of us anymore at class reunions that do but it's enjoyable yeah Mm, interesting I, I could see a good guy number two column on a, on a high school class reunion. That could be gold. <laughs> Maybe you've already done that, but well, and a lot of that, even even the corporate slogan, you know, came from from school because we had to do a, a report on a career in eighth grade, 
And so we, it required a full bibliography and, you know, eighth grade English quality work. And so I did mine on production agriculture in part because I knew we'd have a ton of farm magazines at home. I wouldn't have to go to the library uptown several times to get all my homework done. So when I turned my report in and got it back, uh, I got an A on it. and The guidance counselor handed it to me and said, I wish you would have chose a real career for your report, Jeff. Oh. <laughs> That's and the girl who was sitting next to me had sat next to me in several of, of the classes because we were alphabetical and, and she looked at me and says well why do you want to farm you, you should be a brain surgeon instead Mm. And so that's where we came up with the corporate slogan, Two Guys Farming Incorporated, feeding the world because Mayo Clinic was already doing brain surgery. <laughs> Another example, Jeff, of, of how you see the world and how you, how you are able to uh, put it into words. That's a gift that you have, my friend. Please keep <laughs> sharing it. And folks, uh, please do me a favor and just go to Google and type in Jeff Ryan, guy number two, and read my friend's columns. And Jeff, are you still doing some writing then uh, that's on Farm Progress, the blogs? No, uh, that ended in, let's see, May of 17, I guess. Okay. When they well, went to blogs. Well, um, be open to approach from our machinery repeat business then, Jeff. Uh, someday to get these blogs going again because honestly, the world needs your outlook on daily life. And, uh, well, thank you. And uh, I really appreciate you taking time, Jeff. I know you're super busy, but uh, thanks for what you've done all these years. And, uh, yeah, keep doing your thing, buddy. I will do that. Thanks, Greg. Well, again, a huge thanks to my, to my good friend Jeff Ryan, guy number two from Cresco, Iowa. And, again, folks, I kept mentioning it during the interview, but if you haven't read any of Jeff's uh, blogs and stories – you ever have some time do yourself a favor just go to google type in jeff ryan guy number two and just read through some of these his his view on life and um just take an average day on the farm doing something and turn it into a story that'll make you smile is a real gift and it's been a fun to know him over the years and i again i appreciate him taking time to share some of those favorite stories with us and if you do happen to see on Christmas Day in Northeast Iowa, if you're out visiting Grandma, hopefully we'll be able to with the pandemic. But if you happen to see a yellow dune buggy tooling around, you know who it is. That's that's my buddy Jeff. So give him a wave and tell him Machinery Pete said hi. And remember, folks, uh, again, until we talk next time, that every day is truly a gift and a blessing, even the tough days. So, again, thanks for joining us on the Machinery Pete podcast. And until we talk again, I will see you out at the...